This is a 980 CKNW podcast. He's a familiar face in Vancouver, very well known as the face of Global News at 6. Chris Galis joins us on the line to educate you about a recent health scare that he suffered. You know the outcome. He's on the line, so uh, I hate to be, give you the spoiler alert, but there it is. Good evening, Chris. <laughs> Hi, Maureen. How are you doing? Yes, I, I, couldn't be, I couldn't be happier to be joining you this evening because... Uh, Obviously, the outcome uh, with this malady could have been a lot worse. A new lease on life, shall we say, huh? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I had no clue how serious it was and obviously didn't really appreciate how uh, in danger my life was when I was in the throes of what was happening to me, but I didn't really understand it. And that was really the reason that I felt compelled to write about it, because I felt like had I been exposed to and read a post like the one I put together this week, uh, I would have treated it a lot differently. And, and it's been a, it's really been amazing to see the response that the post that I wrote about my blood clot, deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, and the legitimate threat to my life. Uh, it's really been amazing to see the response to that from a lot of people, thousands of people who have been touched by it. Isn't that fantastic? And I really appreciate you sharing your story on our show here. Um, because when you share stories, we empower other people. Um, so as you said, we're talking about deep vein, deep vein thrombosis or DVT and or a resulting pulmonary embolus, which is what you experience. So Chris, what actually mm-hmm. happened to you? You're an active guy, I, I imagine. You know, I know you were running in a race. Um, you weren't on a plane yeah. for a long time. You weren't in a hospital bed, which are some of the risk factors for deep vein thrombosis. So, so what happened to you and what were the symptoms? Right. Well, that's, that's the thing that startled a lot of people, I think, and probably... Um, you know, I didn't present like a typical DVT patient would because um, I certainly had the symptoms, but there was nothing that provoked the blood clot. And that was the puzzling thing. There are two kinds of blood clots, provoked blood clots and unprovoked blood clots. And provoked blood clots, as you mentioned, are the ones that typically happen if you've been sedentary for a long time, post-surgery, on a long flight, pregnancy, and even being on the pill can lead to them, I've since learned. But in my case, uh, I mean, I am active. I have an eight-year-old son. I try to work out on a regular basis. I go for light runs. I'm not a marathoner, but I like to run and stay active. And so that's exactly what I did on that morning, was go for a run after I dropped Will off at school down by Kitts Beach. And it was a 5K run I've done many, many times. And I felt really good after the run, which is the irony of it. Um, But by the time I got to work, and maybe a little bit later in the afternoon, my ankle had swollen up so much that I took a picture of it because it it was so unusual. Uh, And it was just the left ankle. And um, I took a picture of it, and I thought, this is weird but I'll keep an eye on it. And when I got home after work that night, I just iced it and elevated it and the swelling went down. And I wondered if maybe it was related to the run, but about a, and, and, and that's pretty well how I handled it. The next couple of days it swelled up again, but then I iced it and the swelling went down. But about a week after the run, oddly enough on my wife's birthday, I started feeling ill. Like I got the chills and, and I felt like, 
you get when there's a onset of the flu and just needed an extra blanket under our big thick comforter. And I'm like, it's eight o'clock and I feel the need to go to bed. Like all warning signs that I should have, you know, I, I should have paid a lot more attention to. And, uh, yeah, I just, I fell asleep and I wake up, I woke up at about one o'clock in the morning and I had a stabbing pain in my chest that I describe in the article. Like it just felt like someone was jamming a screwdriver between my ribs kind of in, in my upper back and side. And, uh, stupidly I, I tried to gut it out. I just tried to get, I, I woke my wife up saying, I don't know what's going on. There's something wrong with me. Um, you know, we talked about calling 911, but, you know, I, I kind of talked her off the ledge saying, I, I, look, I, I'm comfortable now. I'll see if I can fall back asleep. And I did, just exhausted. I fell back asleep. I woke up, and the pain, for the most part, was gone, so I went to work. But that was the pulmonary embolism happening. Right. And, and could have... Go ahead. It, it, could have been, it could have been fatal, obviously. So, so the next... When it happened, the next night... I made sure when I woke up in the morning, I went to the hospital. And unfortunately, the ER doctor at, at the hospital missed, missed the symptoms and didn't order the blood test that could have detected the blood clot, which is a, it's called a D-dimer. I'm sure you're familiar with it. I wasn't, but I certainly learned about it. And um, that blood test wasn't done. So a couple of days later, I had an appointment to see my family doctor. And my family doctor looked at the blood work that was done at the hospital and he said, Did, was there no D-dimer performed for you? Mm. And I said, no, not, not that I'm aware of. And he's like, go to the lab right now and do the blood work. So I went back to the hospital after a full day of blood work in the ER. You know, they keep you in there forever. They do multiple blood tests. And so, so that's what I did. I went to the lab. And then three days later, my phone rang at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, and it's my doctor. And nobody wants... We love you, doctors, <laughs> but nobody wants a phone call from the doctor at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Right. Uh, hello? <laughs> and he just said, get back to the hospital right now. You have a blood clot. The, the marker for the D-dimer test is if you have a, an, it's a series of numbers, but if you have a number below 500, chances are you do not have a blood clot. My number was 4,900. Wow. And so he, he said, get to the hospital right away. You have a blood clot. we got to find it. It's likely in that left leg. And sure enough, they found it, and I went on the blood thinners right away. But it was after that you learn how close you came to death. That's the eye-opener. Absolutely. It's a very serious medical condition. And oftentimes right. people find out they have a blood clot after they have uh, a pulmonary embolus. I, I had a question for you. What did the emergency uh, doc, room doctor chalk this up to? I think uh, I just got the feeling that she felt like I was another probably, you know, quite stressed out, middle-aged guy in there thinking I was having a heart attack. And and maybe didn't pay enough attention to the link between the swelling in the lower leg and the pain in the upper chest. Right. That's that's the only way I can I can uh, describe it because I have the I have the pamphlet right here that's prevention and treatment of blood clots and the top two symptoms for DVT and pulmonary embolism 
right at the top, symptoms of a DVT, pain or swelling in your leg or calf, Mm -hmm. the top symptom of a pulmonary embolism, sudden breathlessness or shortness of breath that cannot be explained, sudden sharp pain in your chest or upper back. Those are the symptoms I described exactly when I went to the emergency room. Wow. And, uh, and so, you know, that, that is, uh, that's an issue, and that's one of the reasons I'm talking about it and writing about it, too, that, so people can advocate for themselves when they go in there, and if they don't get, you know, the, blood, the correct blood test, uh, if they have these symptoms, and it seems like maybe the doctor is going a different direction or doesn't order the D-dimer blood clot test, they should request it. Absolutely. And, and you don't know why this happened to you. You're, typically, we see it in, in people over the age of 60, but it can be from an injury or surgery, reduced mobility or inactivity or, or certain medications. But uh, yes. is there going to be some investigation into um, why this happened to you? Yes. And uh, yeah, there, there are, still are, I think, a, a number of test results that need to come back in the coming weeks. I had a conversation with the uh, hematologist a couple of days ago. By the way, excellent uh, health care and advice once we got this diagnosed at the St. Paul's Deep Vein Thrombosis Rapid Access Clinic. Dr. Romani's been amazing, and I've learned a lot from her. And, um, and in fact, I'm even part of a study now of a couple of blood thinning, a randomized study of a couple of blood thinning drugs. But yes, more results are expected. They have to be done at BC Children's Hospital, of all things, to check, the, to check whether I have the markers for a genetic reason that mm-hmm. this might have happened. Is it hereditary, or is there something else going on in, in my system? So still some unanswered questions, which is a little bit unsettling for me and obviously for my wife, too. But that's a journey we're on. We're going to learn and just deal with it. Yes. You know, because yes. there's no other, there's, there's nothing else that you can do. That's right. But at least you're on the medication now. You're under good health care. Um, you're being watched and, and you're more aware, much more aware. I'm sure you've learned a tremendous amount uh, from this exactly. experience. I'm sorry you had to go through it, but I really appreciate you sharing this with the listeners. And, uh, and I'd love to talk to you again about it as well. Yeah, um, in the future. Keep, yeah, yeah, we'll stay in touch and I'll let you know how it goes uh, moving forward because I think there's a lot to learn. And uh, the more we can raise awareness about DVT, blood clots, and uh, pulmonary embolisms, um, I think the better off we are. I've already heard from one guy who had similar swelling in his leg and got it checked out at the doctor. He was originally diagnosed with a blood clot, as the article states. He just reached out to me to say that uh, it turns out it's not a blood clot, but he wouldn't have got it checked had he not read that article. So. I'm so glad that people are, are paying attention, and thank you very much for the chance to be on your show you're, to talk about it. Well, you're very welcome. You've affected me as well. I'm no longer going to sleep on a long-haul flight <laughs> the whole hey, time. Compression socks, compression socks. <laughs> yes. That is a preventative measure. They may not... They may not look cool, although they do have some cooler prints now. So I have maybe, some. maybe that's the way to go. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much, Chris Galis, a familiar face in Vancouver, the face of Global News. Really appreciate your time with us this evening. Thanks so much, Maureen. Talk to you later. All right. Take care. Uh, you know, you might be wondering about your career. Why isn't it going as well as other people's careers are going, perhaps? Joining me in the studio is Dr. Grace Lee. She is a career mentor and 
educator, and there she is. Don't worry about that. Anyway, good evening, Dr. Lee. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, and so we're going to be talking about thinking and growing rich, basically, um, which is a, the title of a book by Napoleon Hill. It has been a New York Times bestseller and long after, uh, or you know, long after he died, actually. Um, so this has been um, because, you know, people think I want to be rich. <laughs> I'm going to be happy if I am rich. And, and what does rich mean? And when we define rich in many, many different ways. Yes. Um, so uh, so tell me, uh, first of all, you're a career mentor and educator. What exactly does that mean for the listeners? Right. So thank you, Maureen, for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show again. So uh, career mentor and educator, I mean, I had to I had to make that distinction because if you think about career coaching, it's it's really a touch and go. It's like a transactional, oh, I'll help you with your resume. I'll, I'll help you with a cover letter. And once you get that job, then my job is done, you know. But with the career mentorship, it is really a relationship. It is really about there's follow through, right? So part of it is mentoring where I teach. When I teach something, I share methodologies and I share processes. And then the, with, the, with the mentorship, there is follow through where I help them along the way. Right. Right. And so you also have a PhD. Yes. And so you talk about the neuroscience of, um, of career transformations and success in career. And so, um, I read the book, um, like everybody else, (laughs) think and grow rich for its catchy title. Um, it didn't work, but that's okay. Uh, in spite of that, um, you know, I'm very passionate about what I do. And, and that's the tenet of that book. You know, at least the beginning part of it is to choose something that you're passionate about. Um, but there are other steps as well. So tell me a little bit about the neuroscience behind thinking and growing rich. Yeah, I mean, going back to think and grow rich, being rich, right? Again, it does mean something different to a lot of people. But there's a big distinction between being rich and being wealthy. You know, rich, you think about rich meaning dollars in the bank account. And with wealth, it really is a mindset. It is a state of mind being wealthy. And so you can, there's people who are wealthy, but they don't necessarily have a million dollars in the bank. And there are people who do have a million dollars in the bank, but they're not wealthy. Right. So for the question was, I'm sorry, the question was about, uh, may I actually have that million dollars in my bank? Because I'd be good with that. <laughs> I'd feel rich and wealthy at the same time. Um, so, well, that neuroscience behind that, uh, you know, that thinking and growing rich. And so what it, it, these are brain uh, processes. These are chemicals that are happening in terms of people's success in their careers. And so how is the brain related to the success that somebody may achieve in their career. Gotcha. Okay. So when you, when you hear that title, think and grow rich, it sounds very simple, right? And, but there's a misconception around, oh, I just have to think about being rich and boom, it just appears. Right. But the thing is with that book, I mean, if you've read it and if, if you're listening to this and you've read it, it's not just about, oh, I think about it. And then all of a sudden it manifests in my bank account or I manifest the life that I want. You have to take action as well, but it begins with the mindset. And so that's why people read the book and they're quite shocked that it's not about strategy. It's not about building a business. It's not about having particular, you know, having particular um, special gifts and talents that nobody else does. It's not about that. It's actually shockingly more about your mindset. And the thing that Napoleon Hill stresses is that there is a part of our imaginations, a part of our visualiza- visualizations, and a part of having a really burning desire for something. So why is that important? That's where the neuroscience starts to happen. Because when you think about it and you imagine it, What's happening is that you are willing it, 
So you have a desire, you think about it, you imagine it. And these things activate the reticular activating system. And what it is, is it's a bundle of nerves in the brainstem. And it's a really important part of the brainstem because it's what funnels all your sensory inputs, you know, from your eyes, your ears, your skin, the pain, touch, temperature, all of the senses that you have funnels through the reticular activating system, the RAS, right? And that filters what you actually see in here. So I'll give you an example. I mean, have you ever been in a, in a large room, you know, you're at a table of 10 and you're having a conversation with someone across the table from you and there's like multiple conversations happening around, but you only hear the person across from you. So why is that? It's because of the RAS. You're focusing on that conversation because that conversation has value to you. All the other conversations around you, the noises, you know, the, the, the kid yelling in the corner of the restaurant, those noises don't have value to you. So your RAS filters them out. And that's where focus comes in because you can't get rich if you're not focused. You can't get rich if you don't have clarity. So that's why that's how it happens is through the RAS. That's right. That's very important, that focus and that Mm -hmm. clarity, because a lot of people go off on tangents and they get distracted um, or and they don't stay on the task and they go all over the place and they can be disorganized. I mean, I've certainly worked with people who um, have, you know, so much on their plates and they they don't know what's going on. And they actually may think that. Uh, you haven't accomplished your work, but they have forgotten, quite frankly, because they are over busy and they have too much going on. And, and, and it may happen to control freaks. You know, I see that it happens to people who have to control everything, but they lose, you know, they're not managing their own life, let alone the people who are working for them. Right. And with that, I mean, that's the thing. We get so busy doing the thing. We get so busy doing the stuff, trying to make a living that we forget what we actually yearn for. And the things that we yearn for, that heart and mind, really relate to purpose. Right. You know, I had an experience. I had a workplace bullying experience, you know, maybe 15 years ago, longer than that, like 17 or 18 years ago. And I remember making a statement, I will never work for anyone again. <laughs> and, uh, and I will work from home. And I thought, you'll never work again. <laughs> But anyway, somebody else said that, not me. Um, but I just made that decision. I will work for myself. You know, I have had it with this ridiculousness. I know. <laughs> um, and and so I decided to go it on my own. And I feel that, I mean, and although I, you know, I am, my services are contracted out, you know, so I do work for other people, but ultimately it's my own business. Yeah. Because then I have the control. And I have the control to swim when I want travel when I want, do whatever I want. You know, like I can make my schedule, it can be flexible. Um, And so that is that combination of, you know, working with the purpose and the passion of what I love and, you know, the people that I love working with and being able to choose who I'm going to work with. But but a lot of people, um, and and I've been victim to this, um, how come they're doing so much better than I am? Okay. (laughs) You're a human behavior expert. What's that all about? (laughs) The comparison, right? And here's the thing. We are programmed at an early age to compare. If you look at the way the school system is set up, there's class averages. You know, if you look at the way parenting is done, you compare to your older sister or your older siblings, or you, there's always a comparison. And we do that because it's the only way we know how to measure. And we need to measure something. Otherwise, how do we know we're progressing? But the fact is, in terms of, prof- in terms of people's progress, in terms of people's intelligence, we haven't figured out a better way to do that. 
and up until now, right? So this, the education system, it's comparison, comparing you to other people. And it seems like that's what, that's what you do. And so it carries on to other avenues of life. And so you have Instagram posts, you have all these Facebook posts that is just a snapshot of life. And yet it's so tempting to compare because we want that, but we see only that snapshot. And it seems like success was overnight for them. It seems like they got the missing piece that you don't have. But the thing is, we don't realize we're comparing maybe like our beginnings to someone else's middle, or we don't realize that uh, behind their success that they're showing was a mountain of tears, a mountain of hardships. And we don't see that because no one talks about it. <laughs> and we're not, we're not programmed to be attracted to talking about that. So there's that, the cultural aspect, aspect of it too. We don't, we don't share those things because it wouldn't make for a good radio show. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> that's what it's all about. Um, you know, and the other thing is we, we take a snapshot of our life perhaps and, yeah. and think, you know, and compare ourselves to somebody else, but we don't know what pain, you touched upon it a little bit, but we don't know what pain and sadness that they have gone through, what medical illness that they are facing, um, you know, what misdiagnosis they've had or, or what uh, symptoms they might be experiencing or the pain in their relationship or something else that's going on. Something maybe had to suffer in order for them to succeed yeah. as well. And so we don't look at that. We're going to go to break and ask you to remain in the studio. And we are on Facebook live for those of you who are on Facebook, um, talking about this very important subject. So Dr. Lee, Thank you so much for talking about um, this really important subject because our career is so important to us. We spend so much time at work yep. and a lot of people have workplace bullying. So they're having yes. a difficult time. They may be doing jobs they don't love. Um, they may be in the wrong career. Um, so lots of issues. So, but uh, you touched a little bit upon in a recent article, synchronicity. Yes. So tell me a little bit about synchronicity. A little bit about it is that if you think about synchronicity, right? It's a noun for synchronize. And then synchronize, you think about synchronized swimming. So that's exactly what it, it, it is, right? And it, stem, it stems from quantum physics. And of course, I don't have time to get into quantum physics, but what happens is that you have these two particles and particles are always behaving in certain ways that we know they're spinning or they're tilting in air, in free air. And if you have two particles that are synchronized, they're in synchronicity, it, they could be worlds apart, countries apart. If one of them moves a certain way, the other one would mirror it. And it's kind of like they are synchronized, but with a huge distance between them, so far away. So why does that happen, right? And so the, the clues that, the, that quantum physics gives in that regard also gives you clues to what can happen in real life, even on a macro basis, on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. So we were talking about think and grow rich earlier. So synchronicity has a lot to do with it. So for example, if, if you kept thinking about something, if you kept on thinking about, say you were about to buy a, a Tesla vehicle and you were interested in Tesla and you were doing some research on it and it was, this is your dream car and you're imagining that, oh, someday I would love to own a Tesla. Then all of a sudden, because you think about it, you start to notice it. And all of a sudden, the, every, everybody on the street tends to own a Tesla and you keep seeing it more and more often. So that's like a principle of synchronicity. And it could also be confirmation bias because you keep on thinking about it and, it, and you, you manifest it, right? So synchronicity works the same way in your career, right? You can use tools like this to, to take the right action, to have the right focus on the things that you want. And when you are synchronized, it means that you have clearly you know your purpose, you're pursuing meaningful purpose. And of course, having passion about it is nice, but it's not a requirement. I wrote an article about that too, right? But so you have this, you, you have the, the, the burning desire for it. You are clear about your meaningful purpose and that's what you're pursuing. And you are synchronizing your action to make it happen. Right. So I'm working on a project right now. Okay. Um, it's an educational 
project to um, for healthcare practitioners to uh, add a particular um, area of healthcare to their existing practice or to allow nurses to set up their own clinical practice um, and go into private practice. And, and it's an opportunity for women, uh, for uh, and uh, mainly for female registered nurses, um, because it's in women's health, uh, you know, especially for those who might have young kids at home and, um, uh, you know, don't want to be working 12-hour days and 12-hour nights at the hospital, but they can make the, probably the same amount of money or maybe even a little bit more by working two days a week. So I like to always have kind of a little bit added benefit to projects that I work on. And and so how would, wh- where would I be seeing, I've, I've had the Tesla synchronicity. <laughs> I've had that. I drove one once and then I see them and I'm like, why does everyone have a Tesla? Except for me, of course. But how would I, how would synchronicity apply? to this project that I'm working on. Okay, so you have goals set out for the project. You, you know what your desired outcome is and the outcome, how it benefits other people, the people that you serve, right? And all you can really do is add some order to the chaos because universe is chaos. You have entropy, the law of entropy, right? That means chaos, right? And so you have all of that, but you want a certain outcome and that outcome needs energy. You need to put energy into it to, to, to lessen the chaos for lack of a better term. And how do you lessen the chaos, right? So you need to put an intention. So for, it starts with setting an intention. The intention is I have this project, I have a deadline for it, I have a goal for it, and I have my reason why. Right. And it's usually the people you want to serve, the difference that you want to change people's lives. Mm -hmm. So you have your why and all of that is deeply connected. It's very deeply connected. And so you start to take action towards your goal. And that means you're always thinking about it. You're you're laser focused on it and you are thinking and growing rich. And rich doesn't mean in this case, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you become a millionaire if you complete the project. But it means you have a wealth you didn't have before. It means that you've touched the lives of people and that creates a wealth that, no, that wasn't there before because it's a state of mind, right? So the synchronicity comes from taking consistent action, massive action consistently, and over time, not giving up. Over time, you, the, the chaos becomes less. It becomes, and so you're like putting, you're putting like uh, beacons in, out into the universe and, saying, and declaring out there, this is what I want and this is the project that I see happening because this is your contribution, Right. I, I have to say, I have seen more, um, this will be an online learning program, and I have seen more of those popping up, exactly. um, you know, in my sphere, if you will, in my realm, um, which maybe because I'm more aware of that, because that's how this is going to um, be delivered. Um, ultimately, this program for physicians, general practitioners, even OBGYNs, registered nurses and pelvic floor physiotherapists. So that's who um, this program is for, because they are the most likely people to be able to treat into health issues um, for women with conservative measures and education and um, making recommendations. Um, But you're right. I have actually seen some of those and some of those programs have um, just popped up, you know, online for me or, you know, I've heard about another company doing them or that kind of a thing. I mean, I have my program chosen, my website's under development and, uh, you know, so I've taken those steps, but, but you're absolutely right about that synchronicity synchronicity it does um yeah and that kind of correct me if i'm wrong but does that inspire you just a little bit more like hey i can do this yeah and this is what i referred to in my article about the dopamine loop it's the so dopamine is that feel good chemical when you when you encounter something or when you uh, see something that makes you feel good it's because of this release of dopamine in your brain right and that's what that's what the dopamine loop is you have 
you have a sense of accomplishment about something. Let's say you have reached the first milestone of your project. That makes you feel good. You get this rush of endorphins and dopamine. And with the rush of those two hormones, all of a sudden it it takes it to another level. Oh, I want more of it. It's kind of like if you do a video game, you're playing this video game and you're really good at video games and you completely, you beat all the levels of the video game and you, you beat the whole video game and you've completed it. The second time you, you try that game again and the third time, that a reward just gets less and less. <laughs> right. Right. And so that's, the, that's because of the dopamine loop. Yeah. So what that is, is it's a, it's a cycle, but it's also a motivator to want more, to do more, to be better. And that's how we grow. So that's what Think and Grow Rich also includes that part of neuroscience. Absolutely. Well, thank you for counseling me tonight <laughs> and educating and mentoring me. Thought I'd get my own little questions in there. If you have a question, email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. How can people get in touch with you, Dr. Lee, Dr. Grace Lee, PhD? Well, a great way to do that is on LinkedIn. If you just Google Dr. Grace Lee, uh, Neuroscience or Vancouver, I am on LinkedIn. But another great way is on my website. So I'm releasing very soon a training, a very special masterclass for women. You know, career, career-driven, career educated women, right? And that website is at careerrevisionist.com slash have it all, you know, because we want to have it all as women. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Take no prisoners. Uh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Lee. I really appreciate uh, your contribution to the show and your brilliance. Uh, I've learned a lot. It's, and it's extremely interesting. I, like you, love human behavior. So thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I have this email. Dear Maureen, I have a significant history of Alzheimer's in my family, my aunt, my sister, and my cousin. What would be the one thing you would suggest as prevention? To be totally honest, the first thing that comes to mind for me is sugar. The risk for dementia is elevated about twofold in people who have diabetes or metabolic syndrome, which is a group of risk factors that often precedes diabetes. So I'm not, I know that uh, there's some research that suggests the way the brain metabolizes sugar is the contributing factor to the increased risk in Alzheimer's um, and also um, some people produce a particular protein and they are more likely to get Alzheimer's and whether that sugar is related to that particular protein, APOE2, um, that's unclear as well. But I, you know, never be one to have, say, just one thing or limit it there. I do want to mention that exercise is critically important. Uh, it, it promotes br- uh, blood flow to your brain. There has been uh, some research out there that suggests that exercise, daily exercise can stave off some of the uh, cognitive decline. And so I think it's really important, which is why I was super excited when I saw an article about building playgrounds for the elderly. And I thought that was a fantastic idea because as people grow older, they typically become more sedentary. And of course, they become a lot lonelier. And so playgrounds for seniors, and I bet we're going to be seeing those popping up here and there. Um, They allow people to have daily activity and get together with some other people. And so you can enjoy the same benefits that children enjoy on the playgrounds as well. So that's my answer. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more ways to prevent Alzheimer's, cutting down on alcohol. and But you just asked for one and we're going to get on with the show. Uh, so I am delighted to have back in the studio with me, uh, Rocky Lee. He's a relationship coach and I've invited him here 
today to talk about a particular um, document that he has, a, something downloadable, a checklist uh, of boxes for you. Good evening, Rocky. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Maureen. Thanks for having me studio. Back. Oh, my pleasure. So I saw on Facebook, and by the way, we are going to start a little Facebook Live with Rocky Lee. So here we are. So here we are back on Facebook, starting, for those of you on Facebook, uh, um, we're doing Facebook Live. We're here in the CKNW studios, and joining me is Rocky Lee, relationship coach. There Hello, is, everybody. There is his good-looking mug over there. Okay, and, um, and so the reason I saw on Facebook that you had a resource called the Relationship Project Checklist, which is a downloadable resource from your website. So That's right. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, it, it came up in discussions that I've had with my clients. And typically when my clients come in, they, they all have problems. Their marriage has fallen apart. But typically their idea is that I, I want to just fix it. How do I fix it? And my simple answer is always, you can't. There's really nothing to fix. On the other hand, if you'd like to redesign or rebuild your marriage... Now, that would be more empowering. And so it became this real discussion about how do we help couples who haven't yet had a chance to come in and talk with me one-on-one? How do we give them a resource where they can just go through and get going on a building project? Absolutely. And you are a clarity coach. I am. And so, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you provide clarity for people into their own lives and in their relationships. Yes, that's right. Yes. And so I imagine people uh, who came to you had some problems. (laughs) Everybody has problems in life. It's the lucky ones who view uh, therapy or coaching or counseling as a gift because therapy is a gift you give to yourself. So. Uh, you work with singles and couples and divorced people as well. Um, so tell me a little bit about this particular resource. What does it involve? What does it entail? And how can it help people? Yeah, great question. You know, this resource is really designed for marriages. And what I'm seeing over and over again are marriages that are falling apart. But they're falling apart not because of the big things that we think blow up a marriage. They're actually all the little things that blow up the marriage. And they're the things that we kind of over five to seven years, we start to take for granted. What are the big things that we think blow up a marriage? What are you referring to? Yeah, so the big things that we would think would be either finances or affairs. The F and F. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's, the F. That's basically okay. what you can talk <laughs> Right. And those are usually the big things that people think that blow up marriages. And it's, truthfully, it's not. It's always the small things that you wrote away a good marriage. So may I ask you, are people coming in because they have financial problems and affairs, but they're getting over that, but it's like, he's leaving the peanut butter out on the counter in the morning and that's just driving me crazy. Um, is it, do, they ha- do you mean that they have an easier time getting over the affairs and getting over the financial? Well, I think that most people come in with that problem intact. So they usually have some sort of like, you know, here we've got a financial issue here going on and it's, it's really blowing up our marriage or we have some sort of, you know, extramarital relationship that's going on and that's blowing up a relationship. And they think that that's actually the problem when really that, that has never really been the problem. That's just a sign and a symptom of everything that's gone on underneath Absolutely. in the marriage relationship. So if they had actually just had a checklist to just really guide them through a process 
over the next course of five, seven years. And I do see a pattern within about five to seven years, relationships do go through an evolution. So usually around there is where I actually start implementing a checklist for my clientele. Do you suggest that people who are getting married um, take this checklist, do Absolutely. this checklist? Absolutely, yes, yes. At the beginning. They, At the beginning. They don't talk about finances or sex or uh, in-laws or lots of children, for example. Yeah. Um, so a lot of those big subjects are not yeah, addressed. It's, you know, the funny thing is what always blows up our marriage if you boil it down, it's it's always a communication problem. But that communication problem leads to a lack of intimacy, which another way to frame it would be disconnection. Absolutely. And I see that a lot in the sexless marriage. Yeah. It leads to a disconnection. It often right. leads to infidelity. And then quite often it can lead to divorce unless they go to you first. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's why the checklist was put in place so that it gives couples a guideline on how, how do we even begin to talk about what our blueprint for our marriage is about. Exactly. And, um, and so this checklist, which we're going to be, um, we'll, uh, reveal the checklist <laughs> shortly. Um, so this is a tool that, yep. um, that will build confidence in the relationship. Does it, does it talk about needs and, and desires and wants? Absolutely. Of a person? Really, this tool is just to help guide couples getting back on the track, helping them understand that really they're not that far apart in their relationship right now. There's a lot of things that look like big mountains, but they're really not. And if they would just go through the simple checklist, really begin to dialogue through some of these things, they'll actually get their relationship back on track quite quickly. Okay, so let me give you a tough situation. And, and for anonymity purposes, I'm going to mix a few couples together here. Or Very few nice. people together. Very nice. Um, so that it's not going to be exactly It's like a murder mystery situ- going on here. I like e- it. Exactly, but you're never going to know who it is for uh, confidentiality purposes. So um, uh, the couple, they've been married for 15 years, and one finds that the other has been uh, having an affair. They found out because of some text messages that that were seen and and so the couple decides um, you know we're going to work on our marriage and and that's it even though the one particular person felt very betrayed and was very upset um, started to get anxious started to get almost an OCD or an obsessive compulsive type of um, paying attention to that because after the spouse had um, found out uh, after the spouse sorry had promised that the affair had ended the the one who'd been betrayed actually found out that the affair had not ended. So say this couple came to you, um, both want to work on it. Say this couple came to you, what would be the steps that you would take with them? Yeah, the first step, if I were like a home renovator, if I could call it that way, and we were to rebuild this marriage, the first thing that I'd show them is that there's toxicity in their walls. It's like molding inside of a... It's like if you bought like a 1970s Vancouver home. Asbestos. And there's, and there's, yeah, there's asbestos and there's molding going on in the wall. Well, molding translated in marriage, that's bitterness. That's years and years of resentment and bitterness that's built up and it's never been dealt with. And that's where they need to start. 
And so, so it's the bitterness that potentially led to the affair. And so, uh, sometimes people will, uh, will not pay attention to the intimacy in their marriage, or they'll just think that their partner can go without sex for five years and, and there won't be any bitterness built up, or they think that they will never cheat. And then they are just shocked at this betrayal. Yeah. This is what I see in my clinical practice anyway. So let's clarify. So the bitterness is what actually breaks apart the connection. That's what's going to be driving a wedge. When we think about a wall, we we typically think of like a wall that goes high. When I think of a wall in marriage, it's actually the width of a wall. And so every bitterness stacks upon each one and it pushes us apart. And that's bitterness. But what you're talking about is a combination of both needs that were never expressed or met combined with the bitterness And that's what's actually destroying the marriage. And if they just go back, deal with the bitterness first, then actually relearning how to communicate a need is actually quite easy. One of the issues is, uh, and I'm challenging you here, one of the issues is that it's pretty exciting for the new, for the person having the affair. I am here with Clarity Coach Rocky Lee, and he uh, sees singles and couples and married people and and post-marriage people. I guess they're the divorced ones in his clinical practice. And so we're talking about um, affairs. We we got onto that, I guess. And um, but we are going to reveal your uh, downloadable resource checklist and make sure we're all in the boxes there. Um, and, but right now we were talking about uh, a couple who, you know, I'm, I'm combining mm-hmm. 17,000 of them in my yeah. clinical practice. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so if this sounds familiar to you, I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm talking about someone else. I'm trying to remain, uh, keep the uh, anonymity. Um, but so they've, they're one person in the affair, in the marriage is having an affair and promises to stop it. And they work on, and they want to, so that they can work on the marriage. But then the the partner finds out that the person has not um, stopped having the affair; is continuing. Um, so, and that person has difficulty stopping because it's arousing. That person may feel connection with somebody else. That may person that person may feel love. Mm-hmm. That may that that may be the end of the toxicity uh, that is in their every cell. So, how would you deal with a couple like this? It starts by them, well, particularly the one that's actually having the affair. That person needs to redefine what they really want in a marriage. That's really where it needs to start. They want the marriage. Well, does does he want the marriage or does she want the marriage? Whoever yes, it is. Yes, they want the marriage, but they have difficulty leaving that external relationship. Probably in part because of what you said, mm-hmm. because there's so much toxicity in that primary relationship. Right. It sounds like it's it's going to be a bit of both. So one of the things that I really gravitate towards is helping couples understand the difference between trying to fulfill an emotional need versus actually just the need. And so when we try and fulfill an emotion, there's no solutions for that mm-hmm. because I'll never feel what my spouse feels. Right. right. That's the problem with emotions. I'm only feeling what I feel. Mm-hmm. But if we actually focus on fulfilling a need, I can experience a need being fulfilled. So can my wife. So if my wife actually clearly defines for me what the need is and how she would like to experience it, I can actually help her in a very pragmatic way experience that. So when we talk about sex, if a partner wants very adventurous sex, that needs to be just brought out and discussed. And how does that get executed? And how can they as a couple execute great adventurous sex in a wonderful and safe way? 
Some of the people in my practice just want sex. Anyway, Rocky, <laughs> um, I invited you here to talk about the Relationship Project Checklist that yes. you have. It's a free downloadable resource. It is. So tell me, what's what are the boxes on there? What's uh, All right, what well, the... there's there's seven boxes, okay, basically, that we're going to go minutes. through. So the first one is being on the That's same page. That's all you need is two minutes. <laughs> That's all I need is two minutes. <laughs> exactly. So the first box is being on the same page. Mm-hmm. you got to be on the same page. Okay. So you both have to describe... What, what does this vision look like? What does this blueprint for this rebuild actually look like? And start to define that. The second checkbox is basically laying a strong foundation. So this is what we're talking about is values. So what are the values that are actually going to be the core glue that will hold this marriage together? So some of the values could be, are we going to be kind to each other? You will not sleep with your secretary. There you no, go. That, there you go. <laughs> that could the be value. the value. So we got to define <laughs> the values. Those got to be outlined. And then everybody understands what's going on there. The third checkbox is building an open and safe plan. And, and again, this is what we just talked about. This is the toxicity in the walls. And the toxicity is what causes us to see our partner in a much different way. So we got to get back into some forgiveness, get rid of some of that toxicity. Checkbox four is creating a vision for hope. And we lose sight of this mm-hmm. over years. Mm-hmm. So start creating an adventure in the next two years. What's a big adventure that you guys are going to do? Start planning for that. Start creating that to get you guys back into the game. Checkbox five, being wired emotionally right. We spend too much time focusing on negative emotions. But how about the empowering emotions? So let's start defining those and then creating a way to actually experiencing those on a weekly basis. Checkbox six would be memories and gratefulness and recalling some of those things. And seven, the last but not least, (laughs) crank up the heat. Get going with the intimacy. Crank up the heat, baby. Love it. Rocky Lee, thank you so much. ClarityCoach.com and... .ca. uh, uh, Sorry, .ca. ClarityCoach.ca. And I do want to say a lot of people stay in marriages where someone has strayed today. That's the new shame. Going to see you, I imagine they would actually be able to shed some of that shame and live a healthier life and a better marriage. And and the checklist is found on ClarityCoach.com couples.ca claritycoachcouples.ca for your for your uh, re, your project <laughs> checklist anyway I'm Maureen McGrath this is the Sunday Night Health Show thank you so much for joining me in thank the studio. you you're welcome you've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast listen live at cknw.com the Radio Player Canada app tune in Amazon Alexa HD radio at 101.1 FM HD 2 and on the AM dial 980 CKNW